You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Hey, everybody. Today we're in week number nine in our 12-week pursuit series, so Bo and KD we're finally wrapping up the second arrow out of three when it comes to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So the first arrow was all about trusting in Jesus for salvation. And the second arrow is is about how we should live our lives as Christians. So today we're going to talk about what we call the big five spiritual disciplines. Now, you guys are disciplined. You go to the gym every day. So <laughs> you understand discipline. Most of our listeners understand discipline. A spiritual discipline is about doing things that that help you to grow in your spiritual life. And I think it's important for Mormons coming out of Mormonism to understand that Christianity is still into this stuff. And we'll talk about the difference here in just a little bit. So it does matter how you live, even though a lot of a lot of Mormons think that Christians don't care how they live and they think that God doesn't care how they live and I think they might even probably teach that in the ward a little bit like Christians use grace as a license to sin. Well, today's episode hopefully is going to debunk all that because we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines that God loves and God wants us to incorporate into our lives. Um before I give you my list, Bo and Katie, what would you say like put your Mormon hats back on or your Mormon garments back on? And what what would you say are the the top five spiritual disciplines in Mormonism? Like what are those things that you're expected to do as a good Mormon? Yeah, I that was that was pretty funny. Um so I think you know what? I think this is where the list is gonna sound somewhat familiar. To, to Christians and Mormons. I think they're going to have very similar things. So so I'll kind of go through, yeah, let, let's go through a list. So for Mormons, um, regular church attendance, regular scripture study, regular prayer, um, ministering to other members of the ward, members of your community, temple attendance, um, yeah, and to your point, wearing your garments, that's all part of uh, spiritual discipline for for Mormons. Is there anything you would add to that list? Just magnifying your calling. Yeah, magnifying your calling. Um, now I've never heard that phrase that phrase before. Is that like a Mormon phrase? Magnify your calling. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a Mormon phrase. So every Mormon gets well, every active Mormon going to church is going to get a calling from church leadership of that ward, and your calling could be to teach. Sunday school or gospel doctrine or to teach the kids in primary. Um, so everybody has a different calling. And yeah, you're asked to magnify that calling or, you know, do your best in that calling. Yeah, it's kind of a no-no not to accept a calling, right? When a bishop oh, gives yeah, you a calling. That's a big no-no because for Mormons, they believe that that these callings are coming from God to God's servant that holds priesthood keys, being the bishop over that ward. And so it would be it would be a big no-no to say no to a calling that the bishop is extending to you. Yeah, and I remember years ago, a Mormon, a family came out of Mormonism, started attending our church, and they wanted to, they wanted to serve somewhere in the church. And they came, they came up to me and said, where should I serve? And I said, well, wherever you want to. You serve wherever you want to. <laughs> and she, I remember the wife looked at me like, what? She almost, she almost didn't know what to do with that. To, you know, I could do whatever, whatever I want. I said, there's kids church, there's the clean team, there's the worship team, there's, you know, the sound and media team, there's, you know, all these different things. And she just was kind of floored at the freedom of that. And I think a lot of Mormons might, <clears throat> former Mormons might come into a Christian church and then just take, well, actually do exactly what Mormons say Christians do, which is use grace as a license to sin, or maybe not sin, but at least not be involved. And it's probably easier to sit on the sidelines in a Christian church, I would guess, than it is to sit on the sidelines in a Mormon church. But we're talking today about personal spiritual discipline. So um, we're not going to talk today about serving, although I do think serving in your church is huge. It's important to do that. But today we're going to talk about the personal the things that you can do in your personal life that can help you to grow a connection um, with God. And you're right, Bo, minus the temple and the garments, I think a lot of these things are the same. So 
prayer, um, reading your Bible, connecting connecting to God's people, or some Christians call that fellowship. We call it connection. Um, giving financially, I think that's important as well. Um, and then we, we would say the fifth one is disciple making. And we're going to what we're going to do for today's episode, guys, is we're just going to give an intro to the episode. We're going to play right after this. We're going to play uh, the episode from the Pursue God podcast, the original um, version podcast episode for lesson number nine, because I think there's just so much to learn from that one. We're going to just play that one in a second. But before we do, I guess my biggest question for you two is, how do you view spiritual disciplines differently now that you're Christians? Now that I'm a Christian, these good works are not linked to my salvation. So my salvation comes from the grace of God and through Jesus. And that is a gift alone um, that I can't earn. So these good works that come from me now are are kind of fruits of the spirit, right? And then also these are things that I do, th- this list are things that I do to pursue that relationship with God. And it's um, it's a desire that I have now um, to get to know God and to, ve- to develop that relationship because, partly because I am in so much awe of that grace and that gift. Yeah, you brought up a good point. And I think it is that the motivation is different. Uh, when, when I was Mormon, the motivation was out of duty or out of uh, guilt and, and shame. Like that, that is what motivated me was either the duty or the guilt and shame of not doing something. And, and once I became a Christian, once, once God changed me uh, from the inside out, that's, that's when the motivation all of a sudden completely changed. And I was not expecting that. I really wasn't. I, while I, I knew Jesus had the power to to save me, I did not expect the change inward to come as much as it did to where good things flowed out of me from the Spirit. And, and it's so hard to put it into words. And, and I guess the best I can do is to say that the motivation, the, the motivation is different um, when I was a Mormon versus, yeah, versus now. And I think, I think that comes from uh, a relationship with God and comes from accepting Jesus, the real Jesus, uh, which which I had wrong for so many years. So KD, the last couple of weeks, you've mentioned the hamster wheel. Does it, when, before we roll the tape on these big five spiritual disciplines and people listen to this from myself and Pastor Ross as we talk about this, is this, does this feel like now that you're a Christian and you still read your Bible, you still pray, you you know again the temple stuff the garment stuff is cut out because that's not biblical but this biblical stuff is still there. Does it feel like a hamster wheel for you now that you're a Christian? Um, it doesn't because this is like I said not like this is not required for my salvation. This is this is this is something that I want to do. Right. This is not something that I have to do. I don't have to pray to God in order to get to heaven. I don't have to read my Bible. These are things that I want to do because. I want to get to know God. I want to build a relationship with Him. He's changed me from the inside out. And like Bo said, the motivation there is really motivated by love, love of the grace that God has given me and the new life that I now lead. And the prayer and the Bible study come from that love. All right. Well, I think that's a good intro for our listeners coming out of Mormonism into biblical Christianity. So we're going to roll the tape now for the standard edition of topic number nine, the big five spiritual disciplines. Here it is. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined again in the studio by Pastor Ross and my wife, Tracy. So guys, today we're going to talk about the big five spiritual disciplines. And full disclosure, we made this list up. Okay, so some people out there might be listening to this saying, there are so many more spiritual disciplines than these five things, and to which we would say, we agree with that. But these are the big five. There are many more. We've got more you can learn about spiritual disciplines at PursueGod.org if you're, if you're interested. But again, these are the essentials of the Christian life. These are the things that I want to make sure my kids understand that they're practicing, that they, that they buy into these things, and then we can, we can add more as we go, and we'll even talk a, l- a little bit about some of the other spiritual disciplines. But Ross, 
you know, another word for this, a simpler word for this, a less churchy word for this is habits, mm-hmm. right? What, yeah. what is a spiritual yeah. discipline? Yeah, it's just something that you develop the habit of doing on a regular basis over and over and over again in order to get the benefits from, you know, if we, any good habit in life has benefits, whether exercise or eating right or, or sleep habits and so forth. Well, these have benefits for us spiritually. So to connect it back to the last topic we talked about, the resources God has given us in the Holy Spirit and in the Bible and in His people to help us learn, uh, live to honor Him, well, the, the habits are ways of then connecting with those resources on an ongoing basis. And so that um, the more we build these into our lives, then the direction of our life begins to change, a foundation begins to get built like one stone at a time, and, and we start to find ourselves uh, behaving differently as a result of putting in the time and the energy into developing these spiritual habits. Yeah, it makes me think of this verse from 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come, right? So I think about the people who are really disciplined in their eating, like you said, Ross, in their eating habits or their workout habits. I know so many Christians who are so, they put hours in a day at the gym and they don't do, they don't have any training in godliness. There's no spiritual discipline in their life, even though they're really disciplined people. I also know some people who would say, well, that's not how I, that's not what I'm like in my physical life. So why would I need to do that in my spiritual life? I think we should probably talk to both groups of people. Like, it doesn't matter how disciplined you are and all the other things. Everyone should have these disciplines, right? Well, and I think the disciplines, again, like we talked about last week, it's that aligning with God and his way and to understand his heart for us more and more to live out, to walk by the, the spirit like we talked about last week. So these disciplines just help to cultivate that relationship and connection and an understanding of who God is and what he wants for us. If we're never connected to him, if we're never reading or spending time with him, then how do we get to really know him and therefore know what his best is for us? Yeah, you know, we, we looked last time at the, at the fruit of the Spirit, and I, I didn't mention this last time, and I'm glad now because it's better right now to mention it now. You know, the difference in, in Galatians 5, Paul talked about the works of the flesh or the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's really interesting that he uses those images that the the flat it is the works of your flesh, but when it comes to the spirit, it's not the it's not the works of the spirit or the acts of the spirit or the checklists of the spirit. It's the fruit, like you mentioned last week, Ross. It's the fruit of the spirit that just naturally comes out of your life because you're in you're connected into God in the spiritual discipline in these spiritual disciplines. And by the way, we have a whole series called Breakthrough Disciplines. We'll make sure to put a link to that. And if you want to dive, take a deeper dive on spiritual disciplines, that's what that whole series does. But for today, we're just going to give you these sort of top five spiritual disciplines that you should start um, practicing in your life. If you're not doing it already, you should do it. You should start doing it today or tomorrow. And maybe if you are starting to do some of these things, I hope you'll get some tips from us as we just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and, and expose our own spiritual lives and our own spiritual disciplines and how we do these things. So number one, the first spiritual discipline, Jesus did it, Paul did it, Peter did it, all the early disciples did it, is prayer. It's making making a habit of talking to God, not with fancy words, but like he's right there next to you, setting some time apart for focused prayer every single day, right? And so Let's talk a little bit about how we do that, guys. How do you guys pray in your lives? Well, a couple things. Um, one of the things I've observed over the years, that it's like my relationship with God is analogous to a relationship with my spouse or some other person that's important to me. And so in my marriage, we have deliberate times that we spend together. We have date night, you know, whatever. And then we also have spontaneous. We're just together in the house. You know, we're together on an errand, you know, doing something uh, playing a game or whatever it is. So I think that's helpful in terms of my relationship with God. I want to have dedicated times that are set apart for Him where they're 
uh, the rest of the world is tuned out and we're just focusing on him. And then I also want to have just his spontaneous presence with me throughout the day when I'm driving in the car, when I'm working in the garage, whatever it is, that we're just having a chat along the way. We're also having that deeper, dedicated time together. That's, so that's one thing I've tried to cultivate both of those. Okay, so then that deeper, dedicated time in prayer, I always love to ask people this. So how much time a day or a week? Let's start with a day. How much, because I, I think you have an answer for that. I wouldn't a- ask that for people who don't have this discipline just yet. They'd probably be like, uh, I don't do it every day. But for you, Ross, how much time every day would you typically spend in that dedicated, non-spontaneous, but dedicated prayer time? Well, there's, there's two things. One is my own individual time where I'm in the morning or, or you know, that, that's not always super consistent every single day at a certain time of day. Uh, my life is not that structured, but setting aside time kind of before you get into everything else, um, that, that might be 15 minutes. It might be 10 minutes. It might depends on what's going on. It might be longer than that if I'm grappling with some issues or trying to really figure out what, what to do and so forth. And then, and then as a couple, my wife and I have every night, um, we have a time of where we're praying for people and praying for the issues in our lives, praying for family, praying for people that we, uh, that we are supportive of who are in ministry, things like that. We've got a list. It's super boring, and we just have this list, and we go, and that takes us probably 10 minutes at night. It could take longer because the list has built-in you know, uh, expandability. We can pray for anything we want to, anything that God puts on our heart, but we will also pray for the things that are on the list. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what about for you? What is your daily prayer time like? Right? What does your prayer life look like? Yeah, for me, I had to... It has to be the first thing I do. So I wake up early when the kids were younger and their schedule would infringe on that time. I would have to set an alarm to get up earlier. But for me, if I don't do it first thing, then too many other things pull me away. And so I do a couple different things because sometimes, I mean, I'll be honest, it's not like prayer is easy for me every day. Sometimes it feels a little dry. Some days it's like I could pray. I feel like I could pray for hours depending on what I'm praying about or the situations. And then other days it might be a little harder, but just choosing the discipline of the honor, really, of of being reminded of the fact the honor it is to be able to enter the Holy of Holies, which is what happened through Jesus, that I have access to the throne room of God. That's pretty cool. So usually what I do is I'll use the PRAY acronym a lot, the Praise, Repent, Ask, Yield. Um, That, like Ross said, sometimes that's 10 minutes, sometimes that's 20, sometimes that's 40. Sometimes I might just read a chapter um, in the Bible and then something will prompt me to pray. Um, Worship, I do a lot of worship music, so it might be the lyrics of the song that I just kind of let be my prayer. Um, So it can look a little bit differently, but for me, I do set aside time every day um, to pray. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the PRAY acronym, PRAISE. Let's go over that. This was really helpful for me because for me, I think I'm a little ADD, so I have a hard time focusing on prayer. Um, And so it's helpful for me to kind of go through something like praise, repent, ask, yield. So you start off by praising God, spend some time praising God. You can open up the Psalms and read a Psalm. As and, and pray it as a prayer. Then you spend some time repenting. Let God sort of shine his spotlight on your life. Um, it's so much better for a marriage, by the way, husbands, for you to have a time where you're getting with God and repenting instead of making your wife call that stuff out in your life. It'll really, it'll really be a blessing to your marriage. So you spend some time really repenting, softening your heart toward God, maybe bringing to mind stuff from the day before or that earlier that day and really, really going through that in your mind and saying, God, was is, is there anywhere, anywhere where I displeased you? Is there anywhere where I didn't honor you in my life? Is there, was there a time where I didn't love people like you wanted me to or where I had lustful thoughts or whatever, right? So that's the repent thing. That's the R. And then A is ask, which is what most people think of when they think of prayer. They think of asking, but that's why I love the PRAY acronym. Is it's, Prayer is so much more than just asking God for your, your request, but it's still important, and he wants you to bring those requests, and it's not selfish to bring your requests. And so the, spend some time asking. Uh, and then finally, the Y is yielding. 
and yielding is where you finally are going to, everything you've been doing so far is talking. <laughs> you've praised God, you've repented, you've been asking for things. And now this last thing to kind of go back to your analogy of a relationship, Ross, you know, your relationship with your wife would be pretty horrible if you just did all the talking, right? I know that would never happen because you're an introvert, but, <laughs> but it'd be, how about if she did all the talking, your relationship would be horrible. You really need some time in relationship with God to yield, to learn how to listen to him and listen for leadings. I always like to have a pen and a paper because if I have some thoughts that come to mind or a name that comes to mind while I'm just trying to listen to God, a lot of times that's just like a little prompting or a nudging from mm -hmm. yep. his spirit yep. to say, give this person a call. Right. And so that's the yielding thing. Yeah. You know, there's another pattern of prayer that's really helpful, and that would be the Lord using the Lord's mm -hmm. prayer as a pattern of prayer. Russ, walk us through how would how would we use the Lord's prayer? Because Jesus said, pray like this. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because the disciples said, How do I how do we pray? We don't know how to pray, which I think is a common question, yeah. Common question. And and he said, well, use the Lord's Prayer, so we should probably pay attention to his yeah, answer. Yeah, and, and so he, what he didn't mean was just recite it word for word. I, I'm pretty sure that that's the case because there's two versions in the New mm -hmm. Testament and which one which should be re recited word for word. But instead, they both, they both reflect the same pattern mm -hmm. of ideas. So our Father, if you're approaching God as a Father, you can talk to God as a Father, about a Father, a Father in Heaven, and so you're th reflecting on who He is and giving praise to Him for for the kind of being that he is, his nature, his attributes, you know, may your uh, whole, hallowed be your name. And so again, that you're, that's part of this P in, in the pray acronym. You're praising him. You're saying, God, you're holy. Your name is, is who you are and all the things about you. Um, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's surrendering to God. That's, that's, I maybe I'm repenting and confessing of any way that I've been out of step with His will, mm -hmm. and I'm coming to a fresh surrender to say, God, this is what I want in my life. Would you show me and reestablish that you know your 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 lordship and your will in my life? Or it's asking for guidance about God. I want to know what to do. I want to follow your will. You got to tell me what what to do, you know. And then then He talks about um, praying for daily bread. That's mm -hmm. what you said, Brian. That we were asked. We we're invited to ask. Ask for ordinary mundane things like like what we're going to eat tomorrow and uh, ask for really anything we have carte blanche to do that and then he talks about um forgiveness he's asked he says forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and so that's a double-edged thing i'm i'm saying god what do i need to be forgiven of where have i blown it oh and where do i need to forgive somebody else so in prayer i'm it's a great opportunity to reflect on my relationships and let the holy spirit speak to that in the word of God speak to that. And then it ends in some of the endings for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it's kind of ending on a, a high note of praise and recognition of, of God again. You know? and, and yielding too, right? Yeah. Like your, your, your kingdom, right? It's yours mm -hmm. is the glory, yours. Yeah. So it's really focusing. I think it's good to remember this. Your prayer time isn't just about you. I mean, it's going to be a little bit about you, and God gets that, and He's good with that, and He loves us, and, and He wants a relationship with us, and He wants us to sometimes bring even stuff that might even feel petty to some people. Mm -hmm. He's okay with that. He's, mm -hmm. not, he's not a mean, judgmental God, but it should be more than just about, again, just the asking. It should be about His kingdom. It should be about, really, prayer more than anything in my mind is about aligning my will or aligning my will with his will, not the other way around. Right. It's not about aligning his will with my will. It's about saying, I want to know your will. Right. I want to hear from you. I want to know. I want to repent. I want to praise you. I want to worship you. And more and more, I want to align my will. Jesus even said that. Your will, not mine, your will be done. And I think that's a great model for prayer is to say, I want to align myself with you. And that's what we do in prayer. Now, I think that one of the questions just about where the place of prayer Okay, so, you know, Christians talk about the prayer closet. Do you guys have a prayer closet? Is there a place that you go to to pray? I don't have a prayer closet. I, I just pray at my desk. Mm -hmm. I'll go downstairs. My desk happens to be downstairs. There's nobody else down there, so it's private. Now, sometimes when I, when I want to have an extended time of prayer, um, and, and I'm going to stretch it out, really focus on some uh, significant issues in life or whatever, I'll go, I'll go away somewhere. 
you know, I'll, I'll go. I, I spent a, a time a few, couple years ago. I t- took a couple of days and went up to uh, Park City and got in a condo because I was really grappling with major uh, shifts of life emphasis and, and what, what's next in the next season. And so sometimes there's that where you get away and it's, it's helpful to be, to remove all distractions, but usually I just do it at my desk. I have seasonal places in the winter. It's, you know, in my living room, certain seat on my couch, my coffee mugs right next to me in the summer months when it's a little warmer. I love to be on our back porch and hear the birds and look at the mountains and, so it just depends on the weather mm-hmm. for me. All right. Well, let's, before we move on to number two, let's give some honorable mentions related <laughs> to prayer, right? So these are some things that didn't make our top five list, some spiritual disciplines that you might want to look into. Again, we have more resources at PursueGod.org on some of these disciplines. You can go check out the, spirit, the Breakthrough Discipline series that we have there. So one would be worship. Tracy, you mentioned worship. I use worship music and prayer all the time. I love to put on a worship set list and just w- w- let it play in the background. Sometime, sometimes I'm even just worshiping mm-hmm. in my prayer time. Mm-hmm. Another one would be fasting, right? Fasting kind of goes along with prayer a lot of times. Another one would be solitude. The spiritual discipline of solitude, getting getting alone, which mm-hmm. I think is really important in our busy culture, mm-hmm. to have some time where you get alone. Right, and related to that might be a discipline of silence as well. Yeah, I stop talking and and, and I shut out all the noise. Right, and then another one, one of my favorites is, and it probably has different names, but slowing, mm-hmm. which is related to, to to Sabbath. It's related to rest. Slowing. One of the things that I've learned to do is to take the longer route. I, I I go golfing with my buddies on Thursday mornings, and I like to take the longer route there. And it's kind of a back roads, and it's just peaceful and it's quiet. It takes a little bit longer, and it's just a good discipline for me to say I'm not going to be in a hurry. I'm mm-hmm. not going to hurry to get there. And then and I'll put worship music on, and I'll use that as 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 prayer mm-hmm. time for me. So that's. My, yeah. my car is in those moments a prayer closet for And what, what those all have in common is that they really all reflect this idea of really meeting individually with God on right. a more profound basis. Right. That's why I put them all under prayer. Those are all, I would say, they're related to the broader spiritual discipline of prayer. Okay, let's move on to the second spiritual discipline. It, probably everybody's going to guess this one. These first two, everybody's going to guess. Bible study. The spiritual discipline of Bible study. This is something you should try to do every day. There's some great ways to do, some you, ways to use technology to do it. You could use your old family Bible or, or your Bible from when you were a kid, mark it up, or you can use Bible apps. There's some great Bible apps out there. What I love about, about some of those Bible apps is you can do a Bible reading plan. The YouVersion Bible app allow, allows you to do a Bible reading plan with, the, your, with someone you're mentoring or your small group or your family or your church. I'm, I've done all kinds of Bible plans with other people, and it's great. It gives, keeps you accountable. You do your own reading, but you can comment on the day's readings if you want. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys do Bible study in your lives. Ross, let's start with you. Well, I'll use a lot of the Bible reading plans from YouVersion, and I'll, you know, I'll, it, it's so many, there's so many great choices. I'm, I'll look for something that might have relevance to issues that are going on in my life right now, or I might just say, well, I haven't really... St- been in the Gospels and interacting with Jesus much lately. Let's do one of those, or I, you know, let's go to the Old Testament, kind of, so I have the whole scope of of Scripture. But when I'm not doing a, a Bible reading plan, sometimes what I'll do is just take a book of the Bible and read through it. And 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 it, you know, there's different ways to do that. A shorter book, like in the New Testament, you read through read through it over uh, a number of times maybe a chapter a day, that's a week, and then go back and read it again for a chapter a day for another week. And, and I'm just asking questions. I'm just saying, what is God? I have a set of questions in my mind. What is God trying to say to me? What, am, what do I see here about who God is? What do I see here about who I am? What do I see, what do I see here about life? What do I see? Are there promises from God that I need to pay attention to? Are there, are there commands of God that I want to pay attention to? In, in this, and what does it say about the people around me? So I might have, a, I might have a, a little bit of a structure of some questions that I'll bring to that chapter um, on a regular basis that helps me know what I'm looking for and helps me not just go, oh, I read that the way I read the paper. I walked away and I forgot what I just read, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. 
Tracy, what about you? How do you do Bible study? Yeah, similar to what Ross just said. The reading plans are great. I've done a few of those. Right now, I've just been kind of going through different New Testament books, and then I've been reading a commentary along with it. So kind of like, Ross, what you're saying about the questions you ask, instead of me just reading it and then just kind of blowing past it, I'm like, I, I want to hear from some people that have really studied. They under, like bring more context, you know, who was the audience, um, and just some of those treasures or the way a commentator might say it that I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that or I didn't catch that. So that's kind of what I've been doing lately. Yeah, Ross, talk about the difference between devotional reading and Bible study, because I think there are two different things. And then, Tracy, I want to hear from you. What would you recommend for a new believer, someone who's brand new? Where do they start? Do they start in Genesis, the first book of the Bible? Do they just open up the Bible and start reading? Ross, let's start with that. What's the difference between Bible study and devotions? Yeah, devotional Bible reading really connects with the first discipline, and you're reading reading as a way of really just personally connecting with God and and, um, to put yourself into that environment with worship, like we said, music does that. Bible reading, I open it up. I just want to to read it as God's love letter to me. I just want to read it to say, you know, oh man, this is who God is. He's in the awesome, and and so there's a heart. It really affects the heart. Bible study needs to affect the heart too, um, but it's more intentional. Maybe more. Um, there's more structure to it where you're actually looking at it from the point of view of let's make sure that we really have a really sound idea of what God is, what is it's actually saying here what it actually means there's more of an interpretive step you may more do more connecting the dots to the larger context you may say oh this reminds me of what that other bible book says over here and so you're kind of piecing it all together to get um, a whole sense of the teaching of the of the larger Bible, so one's more intentional and more maybe studious and rigorous. The other one is more I'm feeding my heart in the presence of God. Yeah, and I do both of those things. So I'm reading right now. I'm reading through the Bible in a year, so that's about five chapters a day. You you can't really study five chapters. Well, at least I can't. I don't have time to really dig, take a deep dive on those chapters. So I'm I'm reading those devotionally. Uh, making some notes of things, maybe to come back and look at it a little bit later. But but I'm but when I study the Bible, I'm I've got my I have an Olive Tree app. If people are looking for a good Bible commentary app, that's one of my favorites. Olive Tree, it's called. You can get it on your iPad or Android or your computer or whatever. And I'll open it up. I'll you can buy commentaries, you can buy Bible dictionaries, and then they're in the app, and it's mm-hmm. great. So you can mark it all up, and you can jump between. So I, I can. I can pull up Matthew 7, and now on the left half of the screen, I've got the text, and then on the right half of the screen, I'll open up the commentaries that I'm looking at, and I'll jump through five or six commentaries. So I'll do a lot of Bible study when I'm prepping for a sermon, obviously, Um, but devotional reading is still important, too, for my heart, I think for pastors especially. Ross, what are some of your favorite Bible commentaries for people who are maybe new to this out there? Boy, that's a great question, because I, I usually use commentaries piecemeal, mm-hmm. um, so I don't really have like a go-to one-volume or two-volume yeah. commentary, that which is helpful for your average reader to probably to have a one-volume or two-volume commentary, so there's a little bit of you know something that's accessible and readable on every book of the Bible, but, but I, mine are more... Like I have a whole commentary yeah, yeah. on a book, a right. book of the Bible, right. and it's like 200 pages long. So, so my, my favorite one-volume commentary would be, there's two of them, um, New Bible Commentary is a really good, mm-hmm. solid one. Um, Expositor's Bible com- Commentary is a little bit more girthy than that. That's mm-hmm. a great one as well. Those are good. I always encourage people I'm discipling to mm-hmm. pick up one or both of those. You know, you can get a, a study Bible, and that's yeah, like... that's a great point. Yeah, it has commentary built into it mm-hmm. already. Yeah. It just won't be quite as extensive as a separate one-volume commentary, right? That is a commentary on the whole Bible, mm-hmm. usually a lot more on the New Testament. Um, if it's a one-volume, right. it's probably going to be a little heavier on the New Testament than on the Old Testament. So, Tracy, what would you say to someone who's brand new to this, and we have people in our life that we're discipling, and they just come to faith, they've never really read the Bible before, it's a big book, it's intimidating, where should they start? Yeah, we always encourage people to start the book of John is probably good, just get into the Gospels and 
get the story of Jesus and his ministry and his miracles, and then that gives you context as it launches then into Acts and the history of the early church and just these apostles and their teachings. So to me, probably starting in the Old Testament is going to be, might set you up for failure in some ways. Some of those (laughs) books can be pretty dry and hard. I mean, the Old Testament's very important because it points all to Jesus, and there's beauty in the Old Testament. But if you're just getting started, I'd say the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, I think would be your best bet. Yeah, and the reason is because it's the last of the four Gospels. So if you start there, I always tell people that mm-hmm. same thing, yeah. then you can just keep going all the way to the end of the, right. of the Bible. You'll go John and then Acts and Romans, etc. Ross, one last question on Bible study. Did the early Christians do this? Did the disciples do this? Did they have Bibles? Did they have Bible apps like what we're talking about? That's a great question. They didn't even have printed Bibles. But in the Jewish culture, which is the New Testament takes place in the Jewish culture, as children who were raised in Judaism, they did extensive Bible memorization. And so that's how they had it at hand. Now, there would have been a copy of the scriptures, which for the first century church would have been the Old Testament scriptures, because the New Testament was, was being formed at that point in time. They would have had a copy of those in every synagogue, so that they would have something that they could reference to, but it's not like a lending library where you just go down and, you know, and, and check it out and take it home for two weeks, right. you know. Okay, so, but there was one group that was famous for Bible study yeah. in the New Testament. The average person couldn't do Bible study, but there was one group that did Bible study, but Jesus didn't have very kind words for them. Well, you know, really, um, the Pharisees in the New Testament, probably had more access to the Scripture than other people did, the religious professionals. Some of them were uh, trained theologians, you might say, and to use our common language. And Jesus said, you study the Scriptures thinking that you're going to find eternal life, but he said, the Scripture should have revealed me to you, and it didn't, so there's something wrong with your, with your Bible study, right. I guess, right. right? And I think that's a good warning to us, as we, even as we check this one off on, on our list. It's a good habit. We, we all do it. We encourage people to do it. But don't let it just become what it was for the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. It's not just about information. It's not about puffing yourself up with knowledge and feeling good about yourself and how many Greek words you know. It really is about finding Jesus in Scripture. It's about, it's about loving him, loving God more, and loving people more as a result of your study of Scripture. Yeah. That's what the Pharisees were missing. Okay, spiritual discipline number three that made our list. Drum roll, please. We're, we're going to call it connection. And when we were growing up, we called this fellowship, but we're using a little bit of a newer word. This is where you are connecting to other Christians. You find a healthy local church. You join a small group. You meet with a mentor. This is what we call connection. This is a spiritual discipline that is so important in the life of every single Christian. Hebrews 10, 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his return is drawing near. Is it legitimate to call connection or fellowship? Is it legitimate to call it a spiritual discipline? Well, it raises the underlying question, what, what it, why spiritual disciplines? They're disciplines because they don't necessarily come naturally to us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, how many of us, like when we had a, when we're on vacation somewhere, we go, oh, it's Sunday. Well, let's go to the beach because um, there's no expectation. Nobody's going to know we weren't there or whatever. Um, it takes a little bit of discipline to get up, you know, to get ready, to go drive down, to, you know, and to connect and take the time. And, and so, yeah, it is a discipline because if left to ourselves, then we might be prone to not do it. Yeah. yeah. And to me, the connection piece is part of our accountability. It's part of that, like you said, Ross, that uncomfortableness of being in a small group with people that know a little bit more about me than just what I might project on a Sunday morning, you know, serving on the coffee team or something, right? That there's something about that practice, that discipline of being around people and sharing struggles and prayer requests and being there for other people is just part of what develops our heart of loving loving people. We need people. Yeah, and related to this spiritual discipline is another spiritual discipline that didn't quite make the list, but it would be serving, in particular serving in your local church. I think it's really important. 
we, we love it at our campuses, at our churches, when we see whole families coming and serving together as a family. It, it's such a valuable thing for mom and dad to model that for your kids. We're a part of this community. We don't just come in, take, you know, watch the show and then leave. Mm-hmm. If, if that's how you do Sunday morning, then you're missing the spiritual discipline of connection. And so serving is a part of the spiritual discipline mm-hmm. of connection. Yeah, because in a larger church especially, you can come in and never connect. You can be there physically, but never connect in any really meaningful way. Which is really kind of a new thing, right? The early church, would this isn't what church would have been like in the early church. This would be completely foreign to them, to the early disciples. I'm sure they would have a thing or two to say about some of our megachurches. Not saying megachurches are wrong. Not at all, because there's, yeah. a, ne- there's a next step you need to take yeah. in order to actually connect. Right. Yeah. They might like the coffee. I wonder, you know. They might. The first, yeah. er, first early church, they probably didn't have coffee back then. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, they might like the shoes and the less stinky feet. <laughs> All right, yeah. number four. Okay, so we've talked about prayer, Bible study, connection. And number four is giving, is financial giving. And we're going to talk a little bit about whether the tithe is a biblical mandate or not. A lot of Christians give 10% of their income to their local church, and then above and beyond that, they give to other Christian charities. And I, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. So he's basically saying you're really good at all these things. But he said, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. So apparently, the 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 Christians at Corinth didn't get the memo that giving was a spiritual discipline that everyone should practice and exercise. And what, I've, what I'm afraid of is nowadays Christians aren't getting the memo either because fewer and fewer churchgoers give financially to, the, to their local church. Yeah, I think to me this was a good, a good verse as I was kind of formulating my view of giving because I feel like I grew up in a home, my parents were givers. Um, I don't know how much they gave, but I understood that they gave money every month to their church. But for me, once I became a young adult, and then as we got married, that idea of growing in the grace of giving, like the privilege it is for us to give to God's kingdom. You know, again, for all these things that we've talked about, that boy, are we quick to grasp the gift of salvation and saved by grace and this, these beautiful gifts that God has given us for free. But yet in our time or in our obedience or with our money, we're kind of chintzy mm-hmm. and cheap toward God. Like how sad that is. So for for all of you guys out there, you know, to think about your giving, not in terms of, oh, what do I have to give? Oh, what do I have left over <laughs> after all mm-hmm. these other things I want to spend my money on? But to grow in the grace of giving by saying, God, I, I want to honor you and show you that you're my priority even in my money and the way I spend my money, just like the way I spend my time reading my Bible and praying. So, Ross, it, so let's, let's talk percentages. Is the tithe, which means 10%, is that a biblical mandate for Christians today? Or is that a part of the old law? Or was that even a part of the old law? Well, it's a great question. I don't believe it's a biblical mandate for today. I think it was part of the Old Testament law that we're not under anymore. It's interesting, though, when you look at all the provisions of the Old Testament law, it adds up to be more like about a third Hmm. than a tenth um, to the different kinds of tithes in the Old Testament. Hmm. To me, I, I grew up in a religious system where the tithe was mandatory, and you were held highly held accountable to that. And so I had to learn, you know, coming to faith in Christ, how to approach that differently. What was the biblical perspective on that? And so, um, you know, my, I've always gone to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who loves cheerfully. So, it gives, so the Bible gives us this incredible freedom to determine what is a, is a real reflection of our heart toward God. Like you were saying, Tracy, in gratitude to what God has given to us, and people might read, don't give reluctantly, or, or in response to pressure, will say, well, I'm a little reluctant, I shouldn't give anything. No, I think it's saying, you know, have a change your heart about giving, um, but you get to decide. Now, in our own experience, I, 10% has always been a benchmark for us, 
but it's not the goal. It's always been kind of the starting line. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've always typically given 10% to our local church that we're part of, and then as God has given us uh, means and opportunity, we've given um, to other missionaries and other ministries in the community or globally um, beyond that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we do it, Tracy. We give... And I remember years ago when we were first married, we were called out on this by a pastor. He said, hey, you guys aren't given. I don't think you're given, like, significantly enough. And it was, I, I mean, I probably embarrassing for us. And to, honestly, I didn't really, we were young, and I hadn't really thought about it. I, I think I didn't really, I didn't see, I didn't see giving as a discipline. I gave when, when there was a missionary when there was when the plate happened to be in front of me and I happened to have some cash in my pocket, it was it was it was very haphazard. Mm-hmm. It was not planned. It wasn't structured. It was not disciplined. It wasn't a spiritual discipline for me before we got married, Tracy. Then when we got married, it still wasn't really, you know, we were pretty poor and it wasn't really a discipline in our early budget. Mm-hmm. But now it is, and it has been for quite a while. And it really, we want we do want to grow in the grace of giving. And so now, Ross, we also give minimum ten percent to the to our local church. We give probably another, I don't know, Trace five to eight percent beyond that to other ministries, missionaries, pursue God. Mm-hmm. So we give generously, and we and we're honest with our kids about it. We want our kids right. to know it because we want we don't want our kids to get ripped off, and to be consumeristic. We yeah. want our kids to be givers too. Yeah, and I think the giving thing can connect to the connection discipline too, that mm. if you're plugged into a local body and you're seeing people and you're seeing the the influence that your local church has in your community or the kinds of families that are being blessed through the kids ministry or the youth ministry or whatever, like it it becomes like you're a part of something bigger and you want you want to let your money be a part of furthering that mission, that ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I would say to the person out there who's listening to this saying, oh my goodness, 10%? Is that pre-tax or post-tax, right? <laughs> and for us, it's pre-tax. Like we give 10, so yeah, it's it's, it's much higher. That yeah. We get we used to get, when we would do like TurboTax, we would get flagged every year when we would do it because they're like, are you sure this is right? You know, the percentage. Yeah, it's out of whack that we for gave most people. Yeah. For most people. Yeah. And so we were, get, we were getting flagged like, no, the IRS is going to come after you because this doesn't, this isn't normal. But what I would say to a new Christian is, okay, then start at 2% mm-hmm. and then grow in the grace of giving. Give Next year, give 3% and then 5%. And then and eventually you'll get to the benchmark of 10% yeah. and, and hopefully even beyond it. Yeah, and God will prove over and over again that you know, he can supply what you need if you decide you're going to give some away for his purposes. Yeah. yeah, I've heard it said before, you're never going to outgive God. And that's the truth. Like you might look at your monthly budget, what you bring in, what your bills are, what your entertainment, the things you enjoy to do, your hobbies. Like I can't afford it. I don't have any money for that. But I promise you, if you grow in that act of giving, if you are give sacrificially and practice the discipline, you'll see that, I mean, in the end, God will bless you in other ways, not not necessarily financially, but just you will be blessed more than had you held on to that to spend right. going to the movies more or something. So here's my challenge in, in terms of this spiritual discipline. I want you to think about your budget and just even just in general terms. And I want you to rank the top five things that you you put money toward in your budget. Probably mortgage is going to be up yeah, toward the house, top or rent. Yeah, maybe a car payment. Car payment, groceries, whatever. You know, So categorize your stuff. And where does giving fall? All of the giving that you, all the charitable giving to your local church, to the, to to organizations, you know, nonprofit organizations or missionaries, whatever. Add all that together. Where does that fall on your list? And my challenge to you, when it comes to growing in the grace of giving, is to move that number up a notch right. every year. Move it up a notch every year, and and really work toward making that the number one thing on your. On your bud in your budget on your list every year, and some people might think about this and say, "Oh man, I had so far to go," or I couldn't even imagine thinking of your mortgage. Some people probably say, "I couldn't even imagine giving more than that in giving," mm-hmm. and I just want to say, "You can do it." Yeah, you can do it. It can be done, and and I think that's a great challenge to take because I think that shows that God where God ranks in your life. I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I do think. 
that that's an indicator of where God ranks in your life. Tracy, we did this, we took this challenge and it's for years now, we, it's been the number one thing. In fact, it was for several years and then we, we moved and bought a new, a nicer house and then our mortgage was more. So we felt ashamed of ourselves and it took us a few more years to get, get that giving up above our mortgage. So that's the challenge. But this is a habit everyone, everyone should have. Okay, we've covered four. Prayer, Bible study, connection, and giving. And I know there are some people out there patting yourself on the back because you're saying, I do all those things. I do all, I, I, I have a good prayer life. I, I read the Bible. I go to church. I'm connected to a small group. I'm a giver in my church. That's great. There's one more spiritual discipline that most people would not even realize is a spiritual discipline, but we believe it is because it takes discipline mm -hmm. to do it. It doesn't come natural. It takes discipline, and it's what we call mentoring or disciple-making. This is the habit that most Christians miss out on, and this is why the Pursue God resources exist. This is actually kind of the point of this Pursuit series. You know, we're in lesson number nine in the series, but there's a few more lessons we're gonna, where we are going to dive into this and talk about how to become a disciple-maker, to actually start discipling people in your world. The Pursue God tools are built to help you to do it. But it all comes from Matthew 28. Jesus said, therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Ross, you've been in ministry longer than any of us. What percentage of Christians do you think actually actively make disciples on an annual basis? Yeah, maybe two. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. pretty low. Yeah. It's pretty low because it does take discipline. It does take energy. It takes intentionality like all these disciplines. And it's harder because it involves another person and their schedule and their preferences and their personality and all the rest that I can't just sit down at my desk and open my Bible. Um, this one is more challenging, but it's also extremely rewarding. Yeah, and it takes a strategy. And that's what we're going to get into in the next module. You know, we're going to finish up. This is this this concludes kind of the second arrow in the circle you know the first arrow is we start a relationship with god by trusting jesus the second arrow is that we live our lives as christians to honor god that's why we've talked about these spiritual disciplines and starting next week we're going to we're going to finish off this series in the next few weeks by talking about the third part of being a christian which is to make disciples he god didn't want us just to trust him for salvation and then start living cleaned up lives he actually has a purpose and a mission for us, and, it's a, and disciple making is a huge part of it. So starting next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you a strategy. We're going to give you a plan. We're going to help you to know how to help someone else pursue God. So make sure to join us next week for week number 10. And to talk about today's topic with your small group, with your family, or with a mentor one-on-one, -on -one, you can find all of it at pursuegod.org forward slash go.